This is the last uh, sermon in the series uh, on, on Jesus' prayers in the book of Luke. And uh, so you can be looking in your Bible, Luke 22 and 23. We're going to look at the last three prayers that we see Jesus praying uh, in the book of Luke. Um, and they are kind of put together because one is in the Garden of Gethsemane just before he goes to the cross. And then he prays two prayers recorded in Luke from the cross. And uh, we're going to see one big overarching thing and uh, about four minor things. And uh, we've, we've called this When Jesus Prays. To get, today it's the power of prayer. Um, but I want you to understand where that power comes from. And I'll go ahead and tell you so you can be looking for it. It comes from number one, uh, relationship. And the other, in trust and obedience, okay? And I'm putting those two words together. You can't obey unless you trust. And if you trust, you will obey, right? If you, if you don't trust and then obey, you didn't really trust. And we're going to see that strongly in, G, in Jesus' uh, Jesus life. Um, and so, we are in Luke 22 and 23. And I don't, we, we don't have time uh, to read the whole uh, uh, passage. We could start uh, in... in, in chapter 22 about 30 verse 39 and read all the way through 23 you kind of are familiar with the story of of Jesus here and I think it's important to note for us that on his way to the cross just before he goes there he goes to a garden to pray and as he goes to that garden he is going to uh, encourage uh, might be the wrong word, instruct the disciples to pray because he said there's an hour coming, there's a temptation coming. And they didn't do it. <laughs> they failed at that, and yet he prevailed in prayer. And so we're going to see that we need to be in prayer. Christ commands it, we need to be doing it. We're going to just look at that a little bit. And here's what I want you to take home with you today. This is uh, something just to think about. You will never know the power of prayer until you're praying like Jesus did. Now, that doesn't mean the exact words he said. Uh, it just means that how did Jesus pray? He prayed relationally to a father. He trusted that father and he obeyed that father. So those are the things we want to see. So we're here in chapter 22. And if you will uh, look with me at verses 39 to 46. I'm going to read that passage. And he came out and he went and notices as was his custom. When you look in, I believe it's John, it says Judas came into that garden because he knew where they would be because he went there a lot to pray. So they knew the area. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, and then remember this is right after the last supper meal in the upper room. And it says, um, and when he had come to the place, he said to them, notice what he says, pray that you may not enter into temptation. Now remember the Lord's Prayer, he said, Lord, lead us not into temptation. Here he's telling us there's going to be a temptation coming. He's telling the disciples there's a temptation coming. And, uh, and, and so he encourages them to pray. And then it says, and he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed. Pastor Andy recommended I bring in a beanbag and throw it as hard as I could toward the back. So you'd see about how far that is. Um, but I don't have that strong arm and I don't want to embarrass myself. Um, but he prays and listen to what he says. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours 
be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. There's a whole lot going on here. We won't cover everything there. Uh, but I, I want you to see a, a, a few things. Uh, and I, I already pointed out, let me point out again, that he encouraged the disciples to pray. He says, you guys pray that you don't enter into temptation. Now notice the reason why he told them to pray. He said temptation's coming. Now he knew specifically what temptation was coming, right? You may know how you were tempted, but you don't know when it's going to get to you, right? And sometimes it takes you by surprise. Would you say that? I mean, how many of y'all know how you're going to be tempted for the rest of the day? I know you might know some things in general that you might be tempted to do that maybe something else would be better, but you just don't know. But does God know the secret of where Satan's hiding? Of course. And so he's encouraging us to pray so we're prepared. Number one, we know who to call on. Number two, he may let us know, don't go over there. That's not, that's not where you need to be. He might lead you away from some temptation. But we hear this word and we, we think of sin. We think of being tempted by sin. But this word has another meaning. It also means a trial you go through. When the Bible says that God does not tempt any man, doesn't tempt them to sin, but God does let us go through trials or else we'd never look more like Jesus. Because that is the sandpaper that rubs off the rough edges, right? Our trials, our tribulations that we go through. And so, but we go through a great trial to sin or we, we are struggling through a trial. Either one, we need the power of God to overcome both those things. Would you agree with that? I don't know about you, but I'm not strong enough to overcome temptation. I can, I can resist everything but temptation. <laughs> right? I mean, that, that, it wouldn't be temptation if it didn't affect you, if it didn't draw you towards it. And Jesus is telling us something real important here that we need to pray so that you don't fall into this temptation to sin, but also to have the power to overcome the temptation, the trial, the thing that, that might be coming. And, and I, I think that is very vital because what happened to the disciples after this? When this prayer finally is over, you can read all the other gospel accounts. When this, when this is finally over, what happens next? Judas comes in, right? In the gospel of John, we read that Judas, it says he left the upper room after the washing of the feet, after Jesus had the meal and washed their feet, Judas leaves, at, at, he washed their feet first, then he did he, what we call communion. He did that Lord's table, instituted that. He fed it to Judas. Judas, he looked at it and he said, what you do, do quick. And it says, Judas, have, Satan having entered Judas, he left. Satan went into Judas and Judas went to finalize the deal. He knew where Jesus was going. He takes the other 11 out there to pray and he tells him, you pray because this trial is on its way. It's coming. He knows it's coming. And we, you know the story good enough to know that when they showed up to arrest Jesus, Peter reacted, but he reacted in the flesh, right? Pulled out a sword, cut off the dude's ear. That's how, we, know, 
We know Peter's left handed because he cut off the guy's right ear. He's trying to take off his head, but he missed and just got his ear. And he got his right ear, so it means Judas was left handed because that had been on Peter's left side, right? Doesn't matter, y'all. I'm just following a rabbit there. That's a skinny rabbit to follow. But anyway, Jesus picks up that ear, heals the guy, says, put away your sword. That's not what this is about. And then he takes all of them just scattered. They run. They get away from the problem here. And so we need to be praying because temptation is coming. Every disciple ran. Every disciple failed. But who did not fail in prayer? Jesus. And what did he do? He did what he came to do. And yet he was praying. In fact, let's pray right now. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for what you did, Lord, that you did pray. And you told us to pray because temptation is coming. Trials are coming. Trouble's coming. The temptation to sin, to abandon you, definitely is a sin. And rather than face the, tempta- the trial, they, they ran. And, and we're, we're not blaming them. We, we would have been just like them. And so we just ask, Lord, that today you would put into our heart and our mind and our, our very being that we ought to always to pray and not to lose heart, as we learned last week. That we ought to commune with you regularly, not just when we need you, because we need you all the time. We need you so that we will know when we're going to need you even more. And so, Lord, guide us today in your word, and may your word come out and flow through us and into us, that we might know it and obey it. In Jesus' name, amen. So, these disciples, they fail. In fact, when Jesus comes back, he he finds them asleep. Now, the Bible says for sorrow. I I don't know exactly what that means. I'll just be honest. You can ask me later, what does that mean? I don't know. It's just how the writer wrote it because they didn't quite understand what was happening, but Jesus had been telling them what was coming, and and I I just believe it meant they they feel the weight of it so much, but they fall asleep. I I was talking about this with Pastor Andy. He, He came up with a insight that we have to um, infer from the text. We cannot pull it out of the text, but there's stuff there. And it was this. I don't know what that was. It's okay. Here's Here's what he said. The Bible makes a point that Jesus went there a lot to pray. Now, there are people in this auditorium. I know where you're going to be sitting. I, I mean, Pastor Andy, he's, right, he's either there or the row behind him, right there. Every, every time when I get up to preach, he's right there. My wife's right there. I won't talk about the rest of you, but I know, them I can talk about. I kind of know where you're going to be sitting, right? And, and you generally are in that area. Don't you think these boys had their spot marked out when they got there? I, I'm thinking of Peter as the grumpiest, oldest guy. I don't know if he's oldest, but he seems to be to me. And he gets there, and the youngest one, John, has stolen his spot. Get out of the way, John. You know that's my spot. Move. I mean, they knew how they were going to sit, how they were going to lay down. Yep, he's coming up here to pray. We might as well go to sleep. He's going to be here a while. They had their spots picked out. They were pretty comfortable, probably. We don't know that for sure. uh, We're making that up. But here's the deal. They made themselves comfortable enough to go to sleep. And they failed. 
we, we read it in the Bible in, in another gospel where he said, Jesus told him, because your spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And we've always taken that to mean that oh, we want to do right, but we're powerless to do right. No, what Jesus was saying is, you're right, you're powerless, but if you'll pray, your spirit is willing to obey, and your spirit will overcome your physical weakness so that you can have victory over this if you will pray. Because if you pray, there's power, but if you don't pray, all there is is powerlessness. There's no power at all. And Jesus prayed, but I want you to notice something else. To whom did he pray? And look at verse 42 of chapter 22. Because I want you to hear the very words he says. Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. I will confess that when you think that out to the logical extreme, there's parts of that I don't understand at all. I mean, doesn't the Bible tell us he's the lamb slain from before the foundation of the world? He already knew it was going to happen. He came just to do this. He meets with Moses and Elijah on the mount, we call it the Mount of Transfiguration, to get some maybe new info or maybe some encouragement. We don't know what. We know what they talked about, but we don't know any of the dialogue at all. We just, it just says they came, talk about him going to the cross. And yet when the time came, Jesus prays in a garden and says, in, in, in one of the other gospels, he says, you can do anything. If it's your will, let this cup pass for me. If Jesus needed that praying, how much more do we? Because we're called by him to become his disciple and carry his message to the world, right? By the way, that's not for a select few of us. The people that want to take the gospel to the entire world, to peoples who've never heard, we call those people Christians. Not pastors, not missionaries, they're Christians. Some of them may become pastors and missionaries and that's how God will fulfill his... We're doing Revelation on Sunday night. And everybody's excited about Jesus coming back. But the Bible tells us, Matthew 24, he says that every tribe, tongue, and nation will be present with him on that, on that day in heaven. There are 3,500 languages, tongues, in which the gospel is not available. It hasn't been translated. The Bible hasn't been translated in that language. People don't know that language. There's, there's no books there. If you want Jesus to come back, Go learn a language that doesn't have the gospel and translate the Bible for them and get it in their hands. So that every tongue and tribe. And that we get all focused on Jesus coming back. How about us get focused on what he told us to do until he comes back? That might be a better thing for us. Right? I, I mean, we need to know. He gave us the book. We ought to study it. He promises a blessing. But, but sometimes we get so focused on, on what's going to happen and we want to know that, but we don't want to know what we ought to be doing right now about that, right? Jesus is praying about the right now. This is tough. This is hard. Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass for me. And that language is not familiar. I mean, it's familiar because I've read it, but I, I, we don't use that. I don't, I don't ever say, oh, my cup is full of sorrow today. You know, I may say I'm sad, but we don't talk that way. Maybe you've heard something like that. So I looked this up. I, I tried to find what is the symbology of the cup. And it's very simple. Your cup is what is happening to you. 
And it can be full of joy. It could be a cup of joy. It could be a cup of happiness. It could be a cup of sorrow. It could be a cup of suffering. And Jesus' cup is filled with the sin of all men from Adam to the last one ever born. And he's got to drink that cup dry on the cross. And he said, if there's any other way. In, in fact, in trying to figure this out, I, I came across something uh, in, in the book of, uh, is it John or Mark? I, I've got it uh, down here. Hold on. Um, no, it was, it was earlier in Mark. I, I mean, in, in um, yeah, in Mark. John and James, these two brothers, come to Jesus and they, and they say to him, Lord, can we sit on either side of you on, when you're on your throne? And Jesus' response is, you don't know what you're asking. This is in Mark uh, chapter 10 and verse 30, uh, 38. You don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized. They said, we're willing. He said, oh, I know you. you, you. Yeah, he said, yeah, you're going, you're going to get a taste of this. That's his response. He didn't say it like that. He said, they said, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with my baptism, you will be baptized. You'll get full of the Holy Spirit, but you're going to suffer. You're going to drink part of this. You're going to also have to endure persecution. Then he said, but where you sit in heaven ain't up to me. That's up to dad. You got to talk to him. But I think it's interesting that he says to John and James, can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? Have you thought about that? That God calls us. I know in Philippians it says that we get not only the power of his resurrection, but the fellowship of his suffering. You're not going to get this from Brother Joel or Kenneth. He didn't call us to have an easy life here. He called us to have a fellowship in his sufferings. To feel the lostness of mankind. Our own loss. That's why the first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who realize, I got nothing. And I need you. And we mourn it. And we desire him. And we desire that all men might know him. He went to the cross. Not to make men better. But to make them saved. To make them brand new. The Bible is not a self-help book. The Bible is an instruction book. On how God wants to take your life and kill the old man and raise up a new thing, create a new thing in you so that you now can become more and more like Jesus every day. It's not about coming to church on Sunday. It's not about sitting in a beautiful building. This is about knowing God, about knowing God is our Father because Jesus loved us enough to drink that cup and die on a cross for our sake that we could know the Father and we could become adopted sons of God and tell everybody we know about that. I don't know what to make of it. And I don't want to make much of it. 
But hanging there on the cross, he said, I thirst. Now, I'll tell you this. The first time he said it, they offered him something and he refused. He said, I thirst. And they tried to give him this thing and he turned it away from me. No. Why did he turn away? Because it, it was a pain number. It had something in it that would dull the pain. And he didn't want that. Then he said it again just before he cried out his last two things, which was, it is finished. And Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. But he took that because he wanted, he, he was dehydrated on that cross. He'd lost so much blood. He'd gone through so much suffering. He wanted to be sure we heard it. And he shouts it out. It is finished. There's only reason he took anything to drink at the end. Why did he say, I thirst? Was it just a, oh, I'm about, I can't stand this. I'm so thirsty. I don't know. But I do know that at least that language is there to remind us that he is drinking the cup of our sin. Pretty amazing to me. He comes back and he finds them asleep. And he says, rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. That's verse 46. Why are you sleeping? Songwriter in the late 70s, early 80s, Keith Green wrote a song called Asleep in the Light. And he talked about, he said that there were people in the world that were asleep in the dark because they didn't know Christ. But we know Christ and we're asleep in the light. We're sleeping while the world goes to hell. And Jesus is in agony in a garden praying for their souls. And that he would go through what he had to go through to save them. And we, like the disciples, are asleep so many times. Well, I want you to see Jesus on the cross here. He prays for two things. And by the way, in that prayer in the garden, what, what we see there is honesty and prayer. Before I, before I talk about the cross, is honest. I, I've thought it. You've thought it. You've heard people say it. Well, I, I know I should be stronger. I should, know I should have more faith. I know I shouldn't feel sad. Why? Why do you say that? Of course you should feel sad. Of course, you, the Bible says God knows your frame. You're just dust. He gets it. We're weak. <laughs> That's why he came, so we wouldn't be weak, so he could strengthen us. Paul said, in my weakness, I'm strong. He doesn't make me stronger. He's going to be strong in my weakness. I'm so broken. God does something through me. You know it's him, not me. Right? It's okay to be honest. It's okay to tell God you're mad at him. David did. Read David. Jonah did. They all said, God, why'd you do that? I don't get it. Habakkuk did it. Haggai did it. What's going on? Why? God says, I'll tell you. And you go, oh, sorry. (laughs) Got it now, right? God will tell you. Sometimes he says, none of your business, just do what I told you. And you go, yes, sir. Right? If Jesus in the garden, if Jesus can say, Father, if there's any other way, but not my will, yours be done. You got to catch that part. Not what I want, what you want. I don't want it. The time has come. Jesus prays, if you read John 17, do I say now, Father, deliver me from this hour? No, it is for this hour I came into the world. He knows it, but he prays it anyway. So tell God how you feel. It's okay. 
Why is Jesus comfortable in praying that prayer? Because he has a relationship with the Father. Did you notice? Father. If there's any other way. Father, if it be your will. Father, please do this. That relationship allows openness and honesty with God. Let's look at Jesus on the cross. In chapter 23, verses 26 uh, uh, through 49. And I really can't read all of those. But, but if you look down in verse 32 of chapter 23, we see the, the very first uh, prayer uh, that Jesus prays. He says, as they're nailing him to the cross... Father, forgive them. They don't know what they are doing. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He is praying for people who are ignorant of their own sin. Jesus says, verse 34, I'm sorry, I, don't, I think I said the wrong verse. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, and they cast lots to divide his garment. Again, Notice the first word, Father. He's asking the Father to forgive people who are putting him on a cross. Is that the Romans? Is that the Jewish people? Yes and no. They're the agents, but you know why Jesus is being put on that cross? Because of you and me and everybody who's ever been born because we're all sinners and we need a Savior. So don't get mad at the Romans and the Jews. Get mad at you. And he says, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. The Bible lets us know that there are sins we might be ignorant of. And David even prays, God, show me my secret sins. Show me what I don't even get. Job said, I've spoken about things too high for me. I don't even understand them. These people are ignorant. And Jesus is praying for everyone who is involved in this. And Jesus' followers follow this example. You remember Stephen in Acts, the very first martyr after Christ? Where he says, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. Let me just ask you, what have people done to you and you're not willing to forgive them of? Don't answer out loud. Did they falsely accuse you, pull together a kangaroo court, convince the authorities that you were guilty and needed to die, cheered as the soldiers drove the nails in your hands and or maybe was one of the soldiers who drove the nails into him and hung him on a cross to die. Anybody do that to you? Okay, then don't come telling Jesus how you can't forgive somebody. In that in the Lord's in that in the Lord's prayer, forgive us our our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Our debts as those who are in debt to us. And then Jesus said, if you don't forgive people who sin against you, your Father won't forgive you. Here Jesus prays, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And then he answered the prayer by dying so that forgiveness could come. Don't miss that part. Please don't miss that part. The prayer is answered by his death and burial and resurrection. Jesus is praying for us. Think he's talking about the Romans and the Jews? No, he's praying for us. Father, forgive them. They, they don't even know what they're doing. 
The compassion of Christ and of our Father is so overwhelming. This is a prayer of, he wants his Father to forgive them. And then, go down to verse 46. He, he's gone through a lot of other things, including telling the people on the cross he can come with him and be with him in paradise that day. In verse 46, And Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. I did not know, and I, 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 I've said this to people, so you may, you may have heard this. But this is a prayer that the Jewish people prayed before they went to sleep. In Jesus' day, this was a common prayer. And when I, when I read that, I thought about how I was taught as a child, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Anybody in here learn that little prayer? And if I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Right? Psalm 31 In verse 5, into your hand I commit my spirit. You've redeemed me, O God, O Lord, faithful God. It's a prayer. Well, you know, right there in Scripture, guess who prayed that prayer in Psalm? If you said David, you win the prize. Jesus' great, 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 great grandfather. And Jesus hanging on a cross knowing he's about to leave this, this human existence, prays a prayer of trust and says, Father, into your hands. I commit my spirit. It's up to you now. Jesus was aware, there's another promise in Psalm about the Messiah, that he wouldn't be dead long enough to, for his body to deteriorate. He says, you will not suffer me to see corruption. And that the body deteriorating. And Jesus did. In fact, he rose before his body could even begin to rot. It's amazing. But in this prayer, he is entrusting his soul to his father. You see the relationship in all these prayers? Every one of them started with father. Father, if it be your will. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Father, into your hands, I trust you. I commit my spirit. Jesus keeps coming back to the relationship with his father. And that is why in Luke uh, and, and in the other ones where it says it, he teaches us at the Lord's Prayer, our father, not just mine, ours. He is also your father. He tells us in John in detail, John records that he said, in that day you won't ask anything of me. You'll ask the father because the father loves you. You will ask in my name and he will give it to you. He says in John fifteen seven. Ask whatever you will and it will be done for you. And by the authority of Christ, we go to the Father and call him Father. It says we've received a spirit of adoption where we cry out, Daddy, Father, Abba, Father. Not just Father, but Daddy, Dad. Pa, if you will. My mind flashed back to when I was a little kid and watching The Rifleman. And that little boy called his daddy, Paul. Paul, Paul. I was an opening scene every week. If you don't know who The Rifleman is, you ought to watch uh, <laughs> True Grit TV and uh, catch up with that. The Holy Spirit. Jesus is our model. His Father. He has trust to His Father. 
And he looked like his father. The Bible tells us that. He showed us how we are to act if we belong to the father. Amen. And, and all these prayers we've seen and his teaching on prayer, he's teaching us that we have a, a real personal relationship with the creator God, almighty God, through his son, Jesus Christ, sealed and made possible by the Holy Spirit who has agreed to live inside a bunch of sinful people. That's pretty amazing. Don't you want to look like God? When our kids were little, we were walking down the street took them for a little walk we weren't in front of houses it was kind of you know vacant there and Janice being from South Carolina had something caught in her throat she (coughs) spit it out (laughs) she she cleans up nice but I'm just telling you she's got a redneck heart all right (laughs) and Cameron our middle child goes I want to be just like you mommy (laughs) So that, that kind of slowed that down a little bit. But don't you want to imitate Christ? Don't you want to be just like him? There's another interesting fact about all this that I discovered that I, I just, it's right there for everybody to see. You may have seen it before. I'm always amazed at how there's stuff so plain right there and I never saw it before until the Lord shows it to us. What are the very first words Jesus ever said that were recorded in the Scripture? I'll go ahead and tell you. I won't give you time to find out. They're recorded in Luke chapter 2. He's 12 years old. He got left behind at the temple because they just assumed he'd go with them. Two days journey out, they realize he's missing, so they got to run back. I don't know if it took them two days to get back. It took them two days to turn back. Might take them another two days to get back, or they might have run and turned it into one day. I don't know. When they get there, they find him sitting in the temple talking to the scholars and confusing them with the truth. <laughs> they were astounded at what he knew. And Mary comes in in Luke chapter 2 and she says, Jesus, why did you worry your father and I so much? Why didn't you come home with us when we left? And Jesus said, why are you looking for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? He's 12. The first words in Luke that Jesus ever speaks invokes his father. The last words he speaks before his death. He said some more after his resurrection, but before his death is father. If you don't get the relationship... You're just going to be talking to someone or something that is undefined and nebulous and doesn't care. And you're just hoping that some power and as people out there say, the universe is going to come to your aid or karma is going to happen. No, we have a father in heaven whom we can go into his throne room and stand before him and say, Father, Because of Jesus, in his authority, I come. And I ask that you give us Stanton for you. I ask that you give us Virginia for you. I ask that you give us the United States for you. Lord, give us the continents of the world for you. Give us every island, every hamlet, every town, every city, 
Every place where people are, God, may they hear your name. And God says, finally. Jesus came to save us all, and he did it talking to Father. We need to be talking to the Father. That's Luke 2, 49, by the way. And in 23, 46, he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. I've done it. Another place in the gospel, he said, I finished the work you sent me to do. I've come, I've done it. It's time for the cross. I pray we can say that at our death. Lord, I've done everything you sent me to do. Ready to come home. Well, what can you do this week? First of all, you can pray to overcome temptation because it's coming. It's going to be a trial. It's going to be a temptation to sin. It's going to be some, something you're going to do. And when it's over, you'll say, man, that was dumb. I shouldn't have done that. Well, don't be dumb. Go to the Father. Say, Father, I don't know where it's coming, but you do. I need your help. I need you to strengthen me. And be diligent in that. We're going to be praying next Sunday night for six hours, Sunday afternoon, Sunday night. Sign up for that. It's out there. Secondly, pray, for, pray to be able to forgive those who've sinned against you. Be able to, to, to ask God to forgive those who have hurt you and sinned against you. And then thirdly, pray for the knowledge to trust our Father completely. Think about this. We, we've covered today, Jesus could pray honestly. He could tell him. He, he could ask for his will, but he said, not my will, yours be done. He, he, wanted, he needed the strength to go through it. He, he prays for those who've sinned against him. He prays that, that the Father would forgive them. He is, he is asking to have that kind of attitude, I guess, that, that they would truly be forgiven. And we've talked about trust. That Jesus could trust his very existence to the Father. And in all of that, it's all wrapped up in the relationship he has with the Father. That he is the eternal son of God. They, there was never a time they both were not. There was never a time that, that they did not relate to one another in a way that only God understands. And Jesus puts on flesh and sets aside all of that to come to us. And, it, and he lives for 33 years having to trust the father to supply everything he needs by the power of the Holy Spirit in his life. And he comes to the end of doing that and he says, Father... I finished it. It's done. He cries out, it is finished. And I'm going to trust my spirit into your hands. I hope you won't take me back, right? He knew where he was going. But look at the trust he has. And we need to pray in the knowledge that our Father loves us. And he wants to deliver us from our difficulties. He wants to deliver us from our sin. He wants to deliver us from the mess that we've gone through. And to make us brand new creatures. To make us all over again. Man, don't, don't you want that? The Bible says in Ecclesiastes, his mercies are new every morning. I encourage you this week, don't, don't live the week today. Live today today. Live Monday on Monday. Tuesday on Tuesday. Wednesday on Wednesday. Thursday on Thursday, Friday on Friday, and start each day with, Lord, today, may your mercies be new as you promised. 
Because the Bible tells us, Corinthians 1, as many as may be, the promises of God in Christ there, yes. So Ecclesiastes says that his mercies are new every morning. So every morning get up and say, Lord, I need your mercies today. You said you'd make them new today. I need them today because new stuff's going to happen. And you know where that is. And so, Father, give me that. Give me wisdom. Give me, give me your mercies today to overcome, to live out my life like you would, to forgive others, to trust you. Because when this day is over, because every day you wake up, you may not lay your head on that pillow that night. Somebody may lay your head on another pillow and you'll be gone. So every day you live, you have to trust God of where you're going, what you're going to do, and where you'll be at the end of the day. And if you manage to get back home that night, you ought to say, thank you, Lord. Great day. Thank you. You're going to give me rest now because you're going to stay up and watch over me while I sleep. And if I live through this night, I commit my spirit to you. And if I make it through the night, tomorrow morning, let's do it all over again. If you start living like that, it'll change your perspective. And you'll be a lot more like Jesus.